Well, good morning. I can say that it is a joy, it is a joy to come and be with you today and to share God's word with you. I've watched Strong Tower from the onset. And this morning, as I was reminiscing with my wife on raising children, you really don't see anything like this. In other words, when you're raising your children, you're just doing what you have to do. You spank them when they need to be spanked, and you encourage them. Dory was a cheerleader. Can you imagine? <laughs> so I had to go to this Christian school, Christian school, I'm putting emphasis on, to see my daughter cheer. And I would say afterwards, Dory, you are the best out there, girl. You are the... Can you imagine Christian schools back in the day, back in the 80s? Not like the public schools who get down and they do their thing. The Christian schools, they go like this. <laughs> they hold it all together. And, and, and yet, as a parent, I, ha I had to be there, you know, to encourage them. But this morning, Dory's up cooking breakfast and, and those kind of things, and I'm just being myself with the grandkids. In other words, it's good to be here. It's good to see God at work, to see my son, to see Matina, to see the grandkids. Um, that's what it's all about. As I was telling one of your elders, you really don't know what you're doing until you see your grandkids. Raise your kids, do what you're supposed to do, but you don't know the effectiveness of it until you see it in the grandkids. I have the privilege every Monday of being with a grandson by the Dante. He sits in my theology class. I read his papers. He has to write. He has to articulate his, his thoughts. I have a speech impediment, in case you don't know. I'm a stutterer, in other words. You figure all of that out. <laughs> God called me to be a preacher. But he had to see the grandson writing about theology. Oh, you don't know the blessedness of it. And then I had the privilege of introducing him to introducing him to a girl, beautiful girl, I thought. <laughs> I'm her teacher, and I can see this girl loves Jesus. Dante had no interest. <laughs> Nevertheless, can I tell you it's good to be with you? Yeah, yeah. So in riding in the car with Chris, he picked us up in the airport on Friday, and I'm a preacher. Chris is a preacher, so we love to talk. And he's telling me about the series that he's in, and, uh, you know, he had told me if I were to be here, he would let me preach and all that kind of stuff, but no big deal. I preach, I teach, that's what I do. But he had this series that he wanted to preach, and I was just enjoying him. Then I told him something that I've been talking about for the last month or two, just talking, just talking something I just don't understand. And he said, on forgiveness? Preach that. Man, I want you to preach that. I need that. So the message today is a message on forgiveness. My wife and I just came back from Africa. She's not feeling well. Oh, she is sick. I asked her this morning, do you want to stay home? Want to stay in? She said, I've come too far. No, I have to go. 
a message on forgiveness. Do you know anything about forgiveness? Every day I have to say to my wife, honey, I'm sorry. Hey, I told you I'm sorry. Why every day? Because I mess up every day. Really, forgiveness. Do you know anything about it? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's good to be here. It's good to share with your people that strong tower that you've raised up for such a time as this. I pray that you'll speak through me to them for your honor, for your glory. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The message is taken from Psalms 32. It's a message that David gives us after his sin with Bathsheba. And I don't understand this message in Psalm because it has to do with forgiveness. But as I also know, David sinned. He took another man's wife, had the man killed, and yet he's writing the Psalms on forgiveness. Chris told me yesterday a wonderful story, and I thought maybe he had passed it out to all of you. He gave it to me this morning. It's about a preacher, Bishop Bobby Davis. And the article starts off by saying, on second thought, maybe he should have kept it to himself. The article says, in Connecticut, Bishop Bobby Davis admitted to his church about an affair he had, then dropped dead of an apparent heart attack. Again, the article started off by saying, on second thought, maybe he should have kept it to himself. On second thought, this is the, the person who's writing the article. <laughs> After the service on Sunday, the bishop family asked us to remain in the church, and the bishop confessed to us about having an adulterous affair. And they asked someone about it and said he wanted to come clean with all of us. He wanted to ask our forgiveness. He wanted to ask our forgiveness. We were shouting, we forgive you. We love you. But the stress of all of it, he had a heart attack. The congregation is hurting. On second thought, Maybe he should have kept it to himself, the article goes, on second thought. No, no. If you want to come clean, as this said, then you have to confess. I mean, if you want to be clear in having the Lord to continue to talk to you, no, you need to confess. I mean, if you've been covering up something, no, you need to confess. And so was David. Can you understand it? I can't. It's kind of hard. David woke up one morning, shall I say one afternoon, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and he looks and sees, ah, who's this? This woman taking a bath. 
And he asked one of his boys, who's that? Oh, David, you know who that is. That's your boy's wife. That's Uriah, the Hittite's wife. That's Bathsheba. And David, being the king, said, go and get her. David, that's your boy's wife. Go and get her. So they got her, and it said he took her, and he laid with her. You know what happened. I'm glad all the kids are gone. <laughs> Could she have said something? Could she have done something? Maybe. But he was a king. And yet, the Bible doesn't tell us how long she stayed with him, but she left and went back home. And then she sent the word back to David and said, I'm pregnant. Now, how long was that? You ladies have had babies. You guys know what's going on. How long did she report it to David that I'm pregnant? Was it four weeks? Maybe five weeks, maybe? Because at the fifth week, you're still not sure. Maybe something is going on with my body. <clears throat> maybe I have a cold. Six weeks? <laughs> and David could not have said, well, why me? Why? Because Uriah was in Afghanistan or someplace. I don't know where he was, but he was fighting the war. He was doing what he needed to do. He was fighting for his country, for his God, for his king. And yet David sent for him. You tell Joab, send me Uriah. And he comes home and he asks, how is Joab? How's the war? Uh, how's everything going? And he reported. And then David got the boy good and high. If something happens when you drink, you get that spirit in you, um, <clears throat> thinking that he'll go home to his wife, but he didn't. David sent flowers and candy and food and everything to his home, but he stayed at David's gate. And David heard about it, and the next day, why didn't you go home? He said, David, how can I go home? Joab, the ark of God, is under a tent. How can I go and lay with my wife, enjoy my wife? In other words, no, David, I couldn't do that. Well... The next day, David sent him back, and he went back to Joab. And Joab, in return, had him to be on the front line, had him killed, sent word back to tell David, things are going fine, but Uriah the Hittite is dead. Mm. So now, Bathsheba is mourning at the death of her husband. She is mourning. Can you feel that? <clears throat> in her body is a baby. For David, not her husband, mourning. How long does a lady mourn for her husband? Is it a month? Is it two months? But David went ahead and took her, brought her into his house. She became his wife. David went on being king, doing the kingly thing, as though nothing had happened. He has another wife now. She gives birth to the baby. And you know, Nathan the prophet comes and tells David this story of this poor man who had one little sheep, and this rich man who had everything, and this rich man had a friend who came, and, and instead of taking one of his sheep, he went to the poor man, took that little sheep that was raised up with his kids, and killed it, and they ate it. They had a good time over it. And David said, who is that? And Nathan said, you are the man. And he told David this story which led to Psalm 32. 
How long was it that David went struggling, not confessing, not repenting? I don't know. We know it was over a year. But he was still doing his kingly duties. David writes in Psalms 32, and he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. I was telling Pastor Chris, <clears throat> when you look at the Hebrew language and the way things are written, it intensifies things. It goes from kill to murder, from murder to slaughter. You see the intensity? The Hebrew. So when he says, blessed, get this. <laughs> he says, all oh, the blessedness. See the intensity? All oh, the blessedness of this person whose transgression. Transgression is one of those sins of overstepping the boundary. You see the sign. It says, no trespass. Now, why are you going over there? Well, who do you think you are that you can blatantly, presumptuously, you plan to go over there? That's transgression. David said, oh, the blessedness of the man whose transgression is forgiven. Forgiven. Forgiveness has to do with, Charles Stanley was saying, releasing something of you. You, you. you have something on you and it's being released. Alan McFarlane will tell you in the Hebrew, the word forgiveness means to L-I-F-T, to lift something off you. You're carrying something. David is carrying something over a year. He's going on being the king, but he's weighted down. He says, all oh, the blessedness of a man whose transgression is forgiven. <laughs> Do you know what it means to have something lifted off you? You're just going on, but you know you need to do something. I took three Liberty University College students with me to Africa this past couple of weeks. We went to Ghana. And while I was there, I was preaching this to them, just talking about what it means to be forgiven. And I asked, well, why people don't want to be forgiven? Why people don't want forgiveness? College students I'm talking to. <laughs> and one said, because of pride. Pride. See, the opposite of pride is humility, is to humble. Pride would make you want to just go on. Because, see, you don't want anybody to know because of your pride that you have. Someone else talked about just not wanting to come clean. Someone else talked about enjoying whatever you're doing, not knowing that you need to confess. Confession is good for the soul. Oh, the blessedness of the man whose transgression is forgiven. But he doesn't stop there. He talks about the blessedness 
of the person whose sin is covered. You know the story of Adam and Eve and how they tied fig leaves around themselves to cover themselves. And you know in Genesis 3.21, God had to take a lamb, kill a lamb, an innocent lamb, and cover Adam and Eve with the skin of this animal. Because your covering is not sufficient. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covered his sin shall not prosper, but he who confesses and forsake it, God will have mercy. It's best for you. You'll be a happy person if you come clean, if you have that which you're covering uncovered by God, and let God cover you. Why are you so afraid to confess? Does it make you look bad? No. You'll get God's covering. And once God covers you, you can go and live and be blessed. It's hard to understand. But yet David says, whose sins are covered. Don't you want to be clean? Don't you want to have that which you are trying to cover uncovered by God? But David doesn't stop there. He says in verse 2, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Impute means to place to your account. I come to Tennessee and I watch my kids and I can honestly tell you, man, I'm so happy. It's such a delight to see them, to talk with them, to challenge them, because I'm not covering anything. Are you with me? David said, this person is a blessed person who lives in such a way that God is not placing to his account sin, iniquity, iniquity, doing something from an immoral perspective whatever that immorality could be in your life. You see, when Regina came and knocked on my bedroom door, no, bathroom door, I was shaving one day, she came and knocked. She says, hey, Dad. I said, yeah, Reg, come in, I'm just shaving. She stood to the door as a little girl, and she said, Dad, I know your testimony. When you met Mama, she was a virgin. I said, yeah, and I'm thinking, shall I cut my throat now? She said, Dad, how did you feel marrying a virgin? How did you feel? Here's my point. You're going to have to talk to your kids about your immorality. Oh, it's going to come. Okay? So you need to live in such a way that God is not placing to your account sin. That you're able to say, as I said to Regina, well, Regina, I haven't always been a Christian. I haven't always been a Christian. You see, sinners sin. That's why they sin, because they're sinners. But when you get saved, something should happen in your life. You should start living such a moral life that you can talk about it. You can say, this is the way you live, because this is what God expects of you. God is holy. He expects his people to live holy. David was covering up his immorality. He was covering up his sin. And yet, God says, David, what you did in secret, I'm going to make it so that everybody's going to see. And this sin is going to stay in your family. You know it. Absalom and Amon and all of those, his daughter Tamar and all of them. So you've got to come clean with this thing. Come clean so that your family can live clean, so that your family can live a godly life. Yeah, I can stand and tell you my four daughters were virgins when they got married. 
and my son, and he married a virgin. I can tell you that. Why? Because, well, I didn't talk about sex every day. Chris thinks I did. <laughs> he said the first time he came to Calvary and I was preaching, I was in Song of Solomon chapter 8, and I said, we have a little sister. That's in the passage, verse 4. And she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister when she is spoken of? And he thought, I was preaching that because he came to Calvary. <laughs> and he was talking to her. No, it had nothing to do with Chris. It was just, just the way life is because that's where we live today. Iniquity. Don't let that be imputed to your account. Get it clean and then live right. You can talk to your kids and you can let them live a joyful life, a happy life, without feeling they have to fall into sexual sin. David said, oh, the blessedness of a man who the Lord does not impute iniquity to his account. Then there was a third sin he talked about here. He said, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Deceit has to do with covering things up, hiding, lying. Come on, you can't live that way. You have to be clear so God can use you. And the rest of this passage talks about how God used him, how the weight of this sin was on him. But all the blessedness, how you feel so free and you can go and live for the Lord. When you have all this thing taken off you, can't you be happy in the Lord? Can't you be free and, and just serve the Lord with joy? You're not hiding stuff. Because God sees everything. Oh, the blessedness of the man whose sin is forgiven. You need to know that. Be sure your sin will find you out. Oh, yeah, the brother confessed. <laughs> and he died. But you know, he went to heaven with this thing taken care of. See, it is appointed on a man who wants to die and after death judgment. Oh, maybe that was his day. Oh, the author said... Maybe he should have had a second thought and kept it to himself. No, he kept it too long. He had to come clean with this. Maybe the wife told him after she, he confessed to her, you need to tell this to the church. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, if I do that, oh, maybe he died. Maybe the church was applauding. Maybe the church was saying, hey, go on or whatever. We don't know. We don't know. He died. You are going to die. Do you want to stand before God with sin in your life, having been in your life and you didn't get it clean? You didn't clear that stuff up? You were covering it all your life? I would think you want to stand before a holy God, and he says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Don't you want that? Don't you want to live a happy life with the Lord? Now, I don't know what's going on in your congregation. Chris just said, man, you need to preach this. I said, I've been preaching this everywhere I go. I'm just telling everybody about, I don't understand. I don't understand. Here's what I don't understand. Bathsheba is mourning with a baby in her from David. David marries her as though everything is A-OK. -okay. The baby is born. The baby gets sick. Everybody prays. The baby dies. And yet she gets pregnant again. This time... She's pregnant with a little baby named Solomon. Uriah's wife is pregnant 
And she's giving birth to a little boy by the name of Solomon. Solomon becomes the third king of Israel. Can you understand that? Uriah is dead. His wife is having a baby for another man who's going to become the third king of Israel. Can you understand that? Man, Uriah didn't do anything wrong. He was serving his country. He was serving his God. He was serving his king. And he died. And life goes on for his wife. Life goes on for David. And they have a son whose name is Solomon. In the Hebrew, that word almost looks like peace. Shalom. But I want you to get this, though. Please get this. Please get this. All the blessedness of the man whose sin is forgiven. See, when you come clean with God, when God takes what you've covered and covers it himself, when you become in such a way that it becomes clear that God can use you again, God can take you and (laughs) do what he did with David. Establish a house for David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. David said, ah, I want to build God a house. Where did that come from? And Nathan said, David, do whatever is in your heart. And David goes before the Lord and talked about how he wanted to build God a house. And God said, like to Chris, I didn't ask you for a house. Where have I ever asked anyone in Israel for a house? I've been living in tent and places, but you want to build me a house? Nah, David, I'm going to build you a house. And your house is going to be an everlasting house. But here's my point. What was in David's heart really was placed there by God. I come here and I see a house. I see a place that you want God to dwell in it. Now, where did that come from? You better think it comes from God. What can God do with a man, anyone who wants to live for God, glorify God, put God on display in his life? God will take you, David, and use you throughout eternity. But you have to come clean. You have to take the stuff that you've been covering up and let God cover it for his glory. And then it'll become clear. And David will say, now that I've experienced this, I want the world to know that you have to experience this blessedness. And when you do, well, you try to make God known to everyone you meet. Tony? You could be cutting hair. Good to see you, man. (laughs) Crystal, I needed to see you yesterday. I said, no, I just got a haircut. He said, no, you need Tony to work on you. (laughs) Yeah, just to be there in the presence of God, of godly men, godly women. Kim, it's so good to see you. And you can live for the Lord. You don't have to have anything holding you down because you're free. Don't you want to live like that? I hope you do. Oh, 
the blessedness of having your sins forgiven. A little boy, well, was a preacher, and Chris may have told you this, but I got to close you with this. This preacher did a wonderful revival, and a lady came to him afterward and said, before you leave tomorrow, can you come to my house? I have two little boys I want you to talk to. And the preacher thought, come to your house? Oh, really? I'm finished. I want to just go home. But the next day he did. He went by the house, and she was a single parent. He walked in there, and there were two boys, one 10 and one 8. And he told the 10-year-old, you go upstairs. I want to talk to your brother. Have Chris told you this? And he told the 8-year-old, because they were just acting up. They were just bad little boys. He said, boy, where is God? He said, I don't know, sir. Boy, where is God? He said, I, I don't know. Boy, listen, where is God? And the little boy ran upstairs, ran in the closet, closed the door. His brother came, 10-year-old, said, man, what's wrong with us? He said, God is missing, and the preacher thinks we have something to do with it. <laughs> Well, I want you to know that God is not missing. God knows everything. God has seen everything. And he's always been where he is. If anybody has moved, think who moved. Not God, but you. That's Chris. Pastor John.